Welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. I am your host, Jens Krauer, and this is episode two of the Everything Fuji with Billy Luong, aka the Fuji Guy, and myself. We discuss everything Fujifilm and everything around Fujifilm. Each month, we take your questions and give you expert tips and insights. So, Billy, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing very well. And again, thanks for having me back, Jens, and uh, for all the Fuji Love uh, customers that are listening to this podcast, I do appreciate you uh, tuning in. Great to have you back. And we did, in fact, get uh, many questions after the last uh, podcast. So during our last show, we asked you to send your questions and uh, those that we received, we will actually discuss today. So thank you for sending them in. If you have any future questions, please don't hesitate and drop us an email at jens at fujilove.com, which is J-E-N-S at fujilove.com. Now, uh, without uh, further introduction, Billy, are you ready to dive into the first uh, category? Sure, let's uh, tackle some of these questions. First question by Dave Kyle. How can I deal with the worms from raw files in Lightroom? What can be done? Is there a better process or steps to reduce the issue? Yeah, I think uh, that question is interesting because uh, just most recently, uh, Adobe Lightroom has you know released a new update that's supposed to address the worms effect. Of course, you know, when you are zooming in at 400%, you can see these kind of uh, images uh, in certain areas, especially in more the shadow areas. And that really has to do with, you know, Adobe Lightroom's uh, interpretation of how to uh, convert, convert the raw files. I've seen some uh, videos uh, on the YouTube as well as some articles uh, who uh, some Fujifilm users have tested that and it seems to be a uh, working great. Uh, maybe not perfect, but much better than uh, in the past. Of course, I, one of the negatives I've been hearing is that it does make a little bit of a bigger file before it actually processes it. And I think, uh, you know, if you're looking at ultimate image quality, I think, you know, you might want to go that route. Uh, you have other options, of course, with, when it comes to raw conversion. You could use the in-camera raw capabilities of the Fujifilm cameras to create sort of a, a JPEG image. Uh, from there, or you know, you could use the free Fujifilm XRAW Studio. Using that software, you can actually connect uh, your camera to the computer, and using the computer side of things, you're able to adjust some of the uh, parameters like you would with the in-camera RAW, but uh, with a much easier interface. And you can create, uh, you know, JPEG, Fujifilm JPEG qualities that are, are basically the same as if you would do it in camera. So that's another option for you. And if you have a, you know, a GFX camera system, then of course you can save TIFF files aside from JPEG. So um, that's maybe a software you might want to look at. Also, you know, with every Fujifilm camera, you can of course download the now free uh, Capture One Fujifilm software. It is a great little software to uh, edit your Raw files, if uh, you want sort of, again, the best possible quality in my hood from, you know, several people that have used Capture One that they do prefer that when working with smaller amount of files. And uh, I guess those are some of the options uh, for you, Dave, if you want to kind of uh, deal with the worms effect uh, with regards to using Adobe Lightroom. So the worm effect uh, goes with all Fujifilm cameras, just specifically in Lightroom, or is that a wider kind of uh, issue to look at? I think what we're seeing is more Adobe's uh, um, conversion of Fujifilm's X-Trans you know, filter array. It is a very unique filter array, and uh, 
And perhaps, again, you know, we do try to work uh, closely with Adobe on, you know, providing the best possible means of, of you know, um, understanding the Fujifilm unique uh, filter array. But, uh, of course, they have their own programmers and, uh, um, you know, they're slowly developing an improvement. And I think, uh, you know, you're seeing this mainly with Adobe Lightroom and you're mainly seeing this with, uh, uh, you know, cameras uh, with our X-Trans filter array that that potentially, uh, you know, Adobe is not interpreting in that uh, in that sense. Of course, again, using things like XRAW Studios, in-camera raw editing capabilities, and or even Capture One, you'll see less of that, uh, that, that effect. So that was Kyle's question. I hope we answered that well for you, Kyle, how to deal with those worms. Let's move on to the next question, which comes from Carlos Hernando who is a landscape photographer and also sometimes does wildlife photography. His setup is an X-T20 and the 18-55 kit lens, as well as the 55-200 lens. He's looking at the X-T30, but he doesn't know if it's really necessary to purchase it. And uh, he asks you to give him some information about the camera and try to figure out if this would be his next uh, Fujifilm body. Yeah, Carlos, I think those are very... Uh good questions there and uh you know the xt30 does utilize some of the latest technology that fujifilm does offer uh, especially the fact that it uses the same you know x processor 4 which is a quad core cpu chip much much faster than uh what's found on the xt20 as well as the new uh, x trans sensor that of course is built on the backside illuminated sensor um, which allows, of course, for much faster readout. Um, and if you're doing videos, of course, you're going you're to definitely benefit from both that improvement in the sensor as well as the processor. You'll find, of course, uh, things like less rolling shutters when doing video. Now, if we talk about the photo side of things, of course, I think um, both cameras are comparable. And I think if you're very happy with the results you're getting from the photo side of things from the X-T28, I'm not sure if you really need to upgrade to the X-T30 because most of its improvement uh, comes from a little bit of the uh, sports tracking uh, capabilities as well as, you know, more um, improvements in the video side of things. Um, not to say that the X-T20 isn't great for doing video. It does do off, uh, off a 4K video, but uh, I think in terms of the photo side of things, maybe you could wait, potentially. I don't think, um, you know, you can see that significant leap for you uh, in that sense. Because there's always a good excuse to kind of, uh, you know, buy the new camera and uh, and then push your old one off to uh, your significant others, perhaps. And it's sort of a, a nice excuse to get something that's new and, uh, you know, definitely... Uh, I think the X-T20 series of cameras in terms of the sensors and process have somewhat peaked in terms of its maximum potential. And so you're probably not going to see uh, much updates to it that can make for better AF systems uh, because it's still kind of, uh, you know, um, reliance on the processor and then even the sensor readout. And of course, the X-T30 is going to have that much greater potential for improvements down the road. Um, now, I think for some countries, uh, including Canada, um, we do actually, actually do have a promotion with the XC30. So if you are buying it right off the bat, you can actually pick up one of the current F2 lenses, whether it be the 23, the 35, or even the 50 millimeter F2.0 uh, lens, and you'll be saving uh, quite a lot of money. In fact, 
Um, I tell everyone who's buying an XT3 right now, especially in, in Canada and probably North America, that they should pick up one of those F2 lenses because it's a big discount. And, you know, you're spending really, you know, an extra $100 just uh, to get that nice prime lens to go with your camera. It would be not so smart if you would just to pick up that F2 lens. So, you know, there's some pros and cons of waiting um, on the X-T30 if you are really interested in it. But if uh, you do really want to make that move, you should, you know, buy it out of the gates because of the great promotions that uh, are offered right now when you do uh, buy it in the beginning. And speaking of F2 lenses, we can actually, uh, there was a second part to Carlos' question, which we can bring together with our next question. Eve is asking, uh, he has a, a range of uh, Fuji lenses and Fuji equipment, and he brings up the old question, should he choose uh, the wide aperture lenses or should he go for the F.2 lenses, which are potentially faster and weather sealed? What would you uh, advise? Yeah, I think, um, you know, depending on your needs, I think, of course, anyone who's looking for faster aperture, uh, brighter apertures, are potentially looking to either have more control over the depth of field, allowing you to more to isolate a subject from the from the background, potentially, or, you know, you're shooting in low light. You know, if I think you're doing astrophotography, uh, you do want to have the f1.4 on the 16 millimeter lens because, you know, you want to, you know, keep that ISO low so that you don't have noise when you're doing long exposures for, for astrophotography. I think if you're doing uh, professional portrait work, you know, the 1.2 is going to definitely make your images stand out compared to, you know, the 60 millimeter 2.4 or even the uh, 50 millimeter f2 lens. Now, you know, I think it's one of those choices. If you're looking more for a camera that you, you're traveling with, that's very compact and lightweight, uh, then the F2 lenses probably would be the one to go with. And again, if you're pairing some of these lenses, like the 1.4, the 16mm 1.4, the 56 1.2, even the 23 1.4, uh, and you pair that with, your, say, a, a most current camera, like an X-T3, then you know the speed and performance is actually quite nice, and you're not going to really... Um, you can get all that benefits of that fast aperture and 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 not really be hindered too much uh, with regards to autofocus. What would you recommend if we're not talking about still photography but uh, about video? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think uh, you know as you know, Fujifilm cameras incorporate more video features. You know, we started off with the X Pro Two, which had you know some really good uh, video. It was a, it was actually a good start for us, and and through the years we've incorporated more and more video features through cameras like the uh, Fujifilm X-H1, uh, the X-T3, of course, being the most recent camera, and of course, now the X-T30. And we're looking at, uh, you know, more and more people looking at video aside just from the photo side of things. And, um, you know, when we look at lenses with regards to video, you know, we obviously want to have, um, you know, when using autofocus, that is, we want to have the lenses to be quiet and, and to be silent, right? You don't want to, uh, for the lenses to pick up that noise, especially if you're maybe vlogging, um, you know, and even with an external mic attached to it, uh, you know, a shotgun mic on top, you, the, cam the mic might pick up audio from, you know, some of these lenses. And there's reasons why certain lenses do better for uh, for video and certain lenses do better uh, basically for photo. And of course, uh, some of the F2 lenses all use uh, a stepping motor. 
Stepping motors are, are great because they uh, are very quiet. They're also very fast. Um, you know, you send pulses of electricity to them and instantly, you know, these lenses will move in a very quiet and, and, and smooth manner, which is obviously very beneficial for uh, video. Um, but of course, you can't just put stepping motors on every single lens, right? Stepping motors do have uh, some negatives in the sense that they don't have the torque needed to move heavier glass. So once you start, you know, producing fast lenses like a 1.256 millimeters or a 16 millimeter 1.4, that stepping motor actually is not going to be good enough because, you know, you want to still have very fast focusing, but, you know, there's not enough torque in a stepping motor. And so, you know, those lenses like the 16 mil and the 56 use a different type of uh, autofocus motor that provides for higher torque capabilities. But those higher torques, um, while great for photos, doesn't necessarily translate to be great for video because, you know, again, being very torquey like your car, when you step on the gas, it's going to kind of jump right off the block. And you don't want that, you know, when you're filming videos, you want the focusing to be, you know, very smooth and gradual. So in that sense, F2 lenses are definitely better for video. Uh, in, and if you're sort of a hybrid shooter and want to do both, you know, that might be something that you should look at uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, which version of the lens you want, whether it be the fast prime or sort of the, uh, the F2 compact size lenses. And then we can go the other way. If you look into shooting very professional video and, and film, you also have the MKX uh, lens lineup. That's correct. I mean, this is obviously a, a lens designed for cinema where, you know, certain things are very important. Uh, MKX, lenses, MKX lenses are manual focus lenses. There's no autofocus uh, whatsoever, uh, but they have gears on them that can uh, attach to the various accessories that allow you to, to control the focus control the zoom controls on the camera and also control even the uh, the t-stops uh, on the lenses and these are of course dedicated for cinema and you know they do uh, differ in terms of photographic lens that you know when you zoom in zoom out uh, they keep the focus on the subject always you know being very parfocal um, you know also they have to prevent things like lens breathing where the scene sort of expands as you zoom in and, and zoom out and as the the uh, the lenses within the AF system start shifting in, internally uh, they need to keep uh, that that scene consistent because it is cinema and so uh, they're very unique now if we step back from you know these MKX lenses because again they're very dedicated to to video and you know if you're into that definitely you can see some huge improvement it's not just with the uh, the usage of that lens, but also how sharp the lenses are uh, compared to, say, its equivalent version, the 16, uh, the 16, um, the 24 to 7 equivalent 2.8 lens that we have, which is the 16 to 55 uh, 2.8, or even the 50 to 140 2.8. The MKX version of those, you'll definitely see a much much sharper looking image as a result of uh, you know a lens that's designed specifically for video if we do step back and maybe go back to the question of you know is f2 lenses great for video and i say yes you know but if you're just mainly manually focusing and doing videos then of course you know you're going to get uh, um, you know 
great results out of you know lenses like the 1614 and 5612 if you really want to create that nice shallow depth of the of field in in certain scenes and that's where you know you you want to have the faster aperture so it really depends again on the type of video that you're doing is it really professional cinematic movies documentaries or is it more kind of you know recording video for a vlog or or family and and outings and stuff like that that might help you sway between which lens to get i mean personally for me if i'm doing families friends and vlogging the f2 lenses are definitely the way to go i fully agree and also i i made this experience as soon as you as you said as soon as you rig the prime lenses and you manually focus them they give you not the same but similar results as the cinema lenses but when it comes to image quality the cinema lenses are just outstanding i mean what they give you as an image really looks incredibly amazing now we know you're not a lens designer, Billy, but this question comes up regularly. The question is also still from Eve. Why is it so difficult to get fast autofocus, large aperture into a small lens? Like what is what makes this trinity of what we would actually like to have so difficult for Fujifilm to produce? You know, lens designers do have a challenge when making lenses. They need to have sort of an understanding of what the lens is being used for, whether it be a photographic lens uh, or whether it be a fast aperture lens or whether it needs to be compact, lightweight. And, you know, all those factors really play into the part of designing a lens. Let's take, for instance, you know, the uh, 56 1.2, okay? That's a, by all means, an amazing, you know, portrait lens. It's equivalent to an 85 1.2 uh, in terms of a 35 millimeter field of view. And, uh, you know, it does have a very large aperture. That means that the glass itself is quite large. And, you know, in order for that lens to have fast autofocus, you need to pick the right motors for that. And so, you know, do you, the different type of motors that could be available, you're looking at things like a stepping motor, right? You're looking at linear motors. You're looking at, you know, DC coreless motors. And there's also uh, other motors like, um, I guess I'm just quoting Canon, but sort of an super uh, ultrasonic type of motors. Uh, and they have different names, of course, depending on the brands, but uh, similar style technology. And all those four different lenses, you know, oh, so all those four different um, um, autofocus motors have pros and cons. And, you know, if we take a look at the 56 1.2, well, the stepping motor is not strong enough to move this big glass very quickly, right? And so, you know, in designing that lens, you know, you can't use a stepping motor or you have to design a stepping motor that's much bigger in order to even move that glass, which means that the 56 1.2 lens then becomes even bigger in terms of dimensions, right? Um, and so in that instance, that's where, you know, a, a DC coreless motor is used. Uh, it's very torquey, it's very powerful, so it could actually move the the autofocus elements in the 56mm lens very quickly. And we know that being a photographic lens, and you know, this is the right choice because we also want to keep the lens design small enough, and, and a coreless motor is uh, um, it's going to allow for that specific. But here's a problem with the, coreless, uh, the, DC, the DC coreless motor is it is torquey, 
right? And so, uh, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, when you step on the gas, you know, of a V6 car, you know, it's going to push hard. You know, it's going to be very difficult to kind of roll along smoothly, right? Whereas, you know, you look at a, a motor like a stepping motor, it is, you know, not as torquey, but it's very consistent. And so it does have a smoother uh, motion when it comes to autofocus. And so, again, looking at, say, the 56 1.2, that choice of motor was was chosen because it allowed the design of the lens to be small enough while strong enough to move fast moving elements. The opposite can stay true if we look at say one of my favorite lenses which is the XF35 f2 lens and that uses uh, a stepping motor. Because the lens element is the autofocus element is quite small and lighter than what's found on the 56 1.2, we could actually use a stepping motor on that element, uh, on those on the autofocus system, and that's what gives us that silent, you know, and smooth movement of the autofocus, right? Um, and then you know, not and then if we jump now to let's say uh, linear motors. Right, linear motors are, are somewhat similar to stepping motors in that they're very silent and they're very smooth, and they're great actually for video as well as stepping motors are. However, uh, with linear motors, you need a little bit more space to fit those in, and you know you look at some of the different linear motor lenses that we have, like the 18 to 55, like the 16 to uh, uh, 55 2.8, the 50 to 140 2.8, you'll see that those lenses are a little bit bigger, meaning that we can fit more len more motors onto that lens, giving us more room so that we can use you know a linear motor to quickly move the autofocus. And some of those lenses have not just you know one linear motor, there's either two, there's three, and in some of our lenses we have four linear motors that are tagged along and and moving the 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 autofocus elements within that lens and in order to do that like i said those lenses have to be a little bit bigger and and so um you know you can't just take a linear motor and put it in every single lens it all really bases it's all based on kind of the design right and the purpose of that lens so basically what you're asking for eve is going to be difficult to realize due to physical limitations there's there's no lens that can be uh, small have the fastest uh, autofocus and a large aperture that seems to be just not doable at the moment exactly and i think it's really at the end of the day on everything the laws of physics right in the sense that uh, you know you look at a a sensor like an APS-C sensor that's on fujifilm cameras you know to have you know, a lens equivalent in terms of focal length to say a 35 millimeter um, camera, um, it's got to kind of upscale, right? Otherwise, you can't just have full frame 35 mil and make small lenses without sacrificing something like having slightly slower, slower apertures. And so the same applies to when you design lenses. You know, what is the purpose of that lens? Number one, is it about doing photos? Uh, is it about doing videos? Number two, you know, is it going to be a fast aperture? Because if it is a fast aperture, you need to have a motor that, that actually has enough, you know, torque to actually move. Otherwise, you're going to have a very slow focus on that, on that camera, on that lens. And then thirdly, how big is that lens going to be made? 
because if you want the lens to be compact, you need to sacrifice space for these motors, meaning you can't use certain motors because they require bigger space. And so, uh, you know, as you scale up on the, on the lens size, you have a little bit more room, I guess, uh, uh, you know, for a, a lens designer to use the appropriate lenses for that. So, yeah, I guess just to say it into perspective, you can't have everything, you know, all at once, right? You can't have fast aperture, uh, very fast autofocus, super quiet, and be the and the and the lens be super tiny and small. So those were your questions. We're looking forward to get more. Just a quick reminder, if you want to submit a question for Billy to respond to, uh, send it to jens at fujilove.com, which is J-E-N-S at fujilove.com. Moving on to our next category, the camera corner. Now, we have some great news, a great new camera, and Billy is going to tell you all about it. It's the X-T30. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this new, brand new Fujifilm X-T30. It boils all the guts, really, from the award-winning, you know, Fujifilm X-T3, which was the best, you know, video, photo mirrorless camera of 2018 according to dp review and uh i think a lot of other websites you know put that camera up there as well for offering a lot of features at a great uh value with respect to you know other cameras in this category and i think you know the xt3 boils all those features all those technology the same quad core cpu the same uh, x-trans uh, sensor that uh, uses the backside illuminated uh, and I think it offers, you know, such a great value with regards to, again, you know, feature-wise. You know, a lot of the functionalities, especially the photo side of the of the camera, um, was actually carried over from the X-T3 down to the X-T30. So you got things like 30 frames per second, you know, no blackout, uh, you know, with autofocus and, expo and auto exposure and continuous shooting. Um, you got a lot of great video functionalities that are, you know, typically found on, you know, higher price cameras, things like uh, internal F-log recording. You also got uh, additional video settings, uh, things like film simulation modes that include eTurner film simulation and uh, a lot of other functiona functionalities like tally light options and uh, time coding options. And of course, movie silent mode controls, which I'll talk in the tip corners a little bit later on it. Uh, it really is a fully featured camera. And, you know, I think for someone who's looking to buy a camera this year and, and really want to take, you know, better photos than maybe what they're getting with from the, the camera phone or from maybe uh, an older camera, this is definitely the camera to look at in terms of feet. Uh, features, functionalities, and design. You know, I think we can never forget the fact that, you know, Fujifilm cameras do look beautiful. And I think, you know, I don't think there's anyone out there that doesn't, you know, buy something uh, that, you know, is not, you know, aesthetically good looking as well, right? And I think uh, the X-T30 carries all that unique X-series design and and with the dials and controls and and makes it very functional uh, as well, you know, with improved gripping and and uh, other improvements like better touch controls uh, um, so that, you know, someone who's using a camera phone can easily move up to this camera to get, you know, benefits of a bigger sensor and, and, and faster processing and, uh, 
you know, maybe take much better photos this year of, you know, the family and friends and, and maybe get more interested in photography in general. Well, the way I always describe when people ask, what's the difference between the X-T3 and the, the X-T30 or before the X-T2 and the X-T20, I always tend to say it's like you're getting the same camera, you're just getting less physical controls and you're getting a, a smaller body. So for me, it's always just a, a reduction of direct physical control, while which I think is a great philosophy of Fujifilm in the camera itself, you still get all the beautiful stuff that you get in the X-T3 as well, right? Yeah, and I think it makes it a lot easier for, you know, uh, our customers and future customers to look at the Fujifilm system as a whole, right? Because now it's just about, you know, am I, if, is my target, you know, a very compact camera? Right. Is my target more, you know, to be shooting professionally and having it uh, um, used all the time or is my is my target, you know, uh, using it with bigger lenses because I do a lot of wildlife and and maybe sports photography. Right. And and, you know, the great thing about that is that you only think about those aspects when it comes to the image quality aspect of it. They're all basically the same because they bore the same technology. So from the standpoint of a consumer, I think it's much easier that you're not sacrificing the main point of any of these tools. And that is that these are photographic equipment that's going to produce great image quality. And I think you don't sacrifice from, you know, spending, you know, $1,200 or you're spending $1,800 or you're spending more, that image quality is there. And and I think, you know, who who really wants to sacrifice for image quality? And I don't think, and uh, I think you don't with Fujifilm because, you know, that strategy of using sort of that same sensor and processor is is there with the various generations of cameras or series of cameras. And it also makes the X-T30 a perfect backup camera if you already have an X-T3 because you, you don't need to change anything. You don't need to change your, your way of thinking. You're getting the same IQ and the same uh, picture quality from a much smaller body. That's right. I, absolutely. You know, and, and aside from someone who's looking into photography and, and buying you know, the very first you know, mirrorless camera. Uh, absolutely. Existing customers that own Fuji cameras will feel right at home, uh, whether it be an upgrade from an XT20 to, to, uh, to a T30, or if it's a secondary camera, as you mentioned, you know, complementing an XT3, for instance, uh, you know, it's, it's perfect because it is the same sensor and processor, same dynamic range, same color. And so you can quickly switch between these two cameras and still get, you know, the same results. And I think uh, uh, that's, you know, very good for, for, you know, any type of customer. Now, as we go down in size, so we went from the X-T3 to the X-T30, and now we even go one down more. So let's talk about the X-P140, which was absolutely not on my radar, but that was a camera that Fujifilm recently released in a totally different class of camera. Yeah, I think uh, when we look at, you know, camera phones uh, and you go on vacation, you're seeing a lot more, you know, of everyone kind of using that because it's convenient. It's there, right? But, you know, there's still scenarios where, you know, you want to take a camera to a place that maybe it's not, uh, you know, protective in regards to your equipment and, and you just want to be able to take pictures. And I think, you know, the new FinePix XP140 camera is maybe the right camera for you. It's a low cost, uh, you know, point and shoot camera that offers uh, a more rugged, uh, 
design where you know it can be taken underwater down to you know 82 feet or 25 meters and and it could be dropped potentially and not be damaged so you know if you are going on vacation or, or you're hiking and you know you just want to get the shot but you are afraid of dust and sand or even moisture getting into this this is what this camera is about uh, I think it's one of the the best selling, you know, shockproof, waterproof camera in its category. And I think personally, if you're looking to buy one, you know, I would buy the the least expensive. And because honestly, I think most people nowadays have a, re a really good family camera that they use, whether it be, you know, an older DSLR or even a mirrorless camera. Um, but you also want to have a camera that you can just, you know, throw in your bag and, you know, whether you'll be fishing, you know, you're not going to be worried about, uh, you know, water, dust or sand and getting into it. So this is kind of the uh, uh, sort of XP tough and rugged series of, of digital cameras. It does have things like uh, video performance on it, uh, a decent zoom. Um, and ability to even transfer images right onto your smartphone using sort of the Bluetooth Wi-Fi connectivity. And I think anyone who's uh, going to go on vacation, uh, especially to a sunny destination, should check out that camera. I think it's uh, they'd be pleasant, pleasantly surprised on the features and functionalities that that uh, camera offers. So you might pull that one out when you don't want to damage or at least put in danger your X100F. Uh, but what's happening inside of this camera? What are we shooting with? The XP140 is a 16 megapixel, again, backside illuminated sensor. Uh, it is uh, image stabilized through a sensor shift, and it does have a five times optical zoom lens. And I think, you know, for most of the conditions that you can be shooting this camera with, which generally is going to be, you know, bright and sunny, I think uh, the camera is going to give you uh, very good images without the worry of, you know, your equipment being damaged, right? And, you know, for myself, you know, when I went on vacation, I brought both, you know, my XP camera as well as my uh, my my X series camera, which at the time is an XE3. And, um, you know, I think they both work very well. You know, I was at the beach and had the kids shoot with the XP 140. Well, uh, in certain scenarios where, you know, I wasn't in the sand, I was shooting with my XE3 and uh, taking uh, beautiful family pictures. Great. Let's move on to the lens corner, where we discuss uh, all news regarding Fujifilm lenses and lenses that are compatible with your Fujifilm camera. Now, first, let's bring up the XF 16mm f2.8. The, the new XF 16mm 2.8 really falls into the same f2 you know, compact lens lineup that we offer. Currently, we have the 23mm the 35 millimeter and the 50 millimeter f2 lenses and the 16 mil kind of fits in that same size and characteristics is small it has fast autofocus it's quiet it's weather resistant it has off it offers excellent image quality with nice uh, uh detail and you know a surprising fact, it has quite a, a great minimum focus distance of about, you know, 17 centimeters. So it's a very versatile camera and I think, uh, uh, lens, sorry. And I think, um, you know, anyone who's looking at this 24 millimeter range uh, field of view should be looking at this lens because, you know, really for its price uh, point, it is um, scary good in terms of uh, quality and, and 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 functionality. 
Is that uh, the the follow up to the sixteen one point four? Is that produced in that kind of uh, way of thinking? Yeah, I mean, six, the sixteen one four is is a different type of beast, right? I mean, for someone who who requires, you know, uh, a faster aperture, whether they're shooting in low light or want to create even more, uh, have more control over, you know, the depth of field in the scene. Uh, Surprisingly, like I said, the 2.8 lens is scary that it's actually much less in, in price. It's fast focusing, it's weather resistant, and it offers excellent you know, image quality. And I think you know, we might be selling more of these lenses than 1.4, actually, if you think about it, because of its uh, uh, really the value for your money in, in, in these type of lenses. And I think all F2 lenses offer that same value for your money where it's very fast, compact, weather resistant, and they do offer great image quality. There really isn't a compromise in that sense. And uh, I think um, if you are buying a small camera body like an X-T30, you know, I think these series of lenses being the 2.8, 16mm or the other F2 lenses, you should consider these lenses uh, because they offer that sharpness that you get with prime lenses. And And, uh, you know, they're built quite well. If you're a video person as well and you were considering potentially doing some vlogging, uh, you know, the 16mm lens, which is equivalent to a 24mm field of view in terms of 35mm, is an, a good lens to have, actually. It creates really nice shallow depth of field. So even if you have it on a tripod and you're maybe starting up a YouTube channel and, and you, you want to get really nice looking video footage while you're talking or you're reviewing a product or something, this is a great lens to look at. It's, it's perfect and works well with the face and eye detection on the camera and uh, has that quiet you know autofocus mode on it, which I think is great for doing videos. So, you know, not just a photo lens, but also for videos, you, you should maybe take a look at this uh, 16mm 2.8. So video is more and more of a subject uh, also through through now our talk and, and the questions we got. Let's move on to point number four, which is the tip corner. And we're going into a similar direction. Let's talk about using movie silent control on Fujifilm X cameras. The movie silent control is is a, a great little feature, feature that's found on Fujifilm cameras, uh, starting with the X-H1. Uh, then the X-T3 got it, and of course the X-T30 now incorporates that functionality. And I think, you know, maybe Fujifilm as a whole has this feature kind of misunderstood, right? Because you read it and you think movie silent control, what does that mean? You know, like I don't want to use my touch controls to change movie settings. You know, and I think Fujifilm thought that, you know, when you're filming, you could change the aperture on the fly. And by using touch controls, you, know, you wouldn't introduce any more clicking noises that you would get from pushing buttons and dials. Uh, uh, or, you know, if you had a rig set up and, uh, you know, you were filming something and wanted to change the settings, you didn't want to change the whole tripod Or, the, or, or where the camera was sitting by accidentally changing a dial and, and moving the lens completely in a different location. And so, you know, they incorporated this feature called the movie silent control. But what I like about this feature is that when you turn it on, you end up getting independent controls from your dials. So, you know, you're no longer controlling the aperture, 
the shutter speeds, and the ISO through dials. You can actually tap on the on the back of the screen where the uh, movie silent control feature is it's turned on, and then from there you could actually use the touch controls on the LCD to swipe up and down to adjust. Or what I like to do is to use the joystick uh, to change my settings within that. And what happens when you enable movie silent control is that you now have independent controls over your video. So if I'm a wedding photographer and I'm being asked more and more to do videos now, I could set my photographic, you know, settings, you know, my aperture priority settings or whatever, how you shoot the wedding. Um, you know, you can set it one way on the dials and with movie silent control turned on, you can turn the dial to the video mode and now you have your independent movie settings because as you know, when you're filming you know, cinematic video at 24 frames per second, you want to set the shutter speeds to 1 48th of a second, right? And so you can do that through the movement styling control. Um, you may want to have auto ISO in video because you're a vlogger and you want it to be able to go from a dark and bright scene and have the camera do a very seamless adjustment of the exposure by just you know adjusting the ISO in a in a variable state, making it very smooth transition from dark to bright and bright to to dark. And again, these are all independents. And maybe when it comes to even JPEG settings. You want to be shooting in the Eterna film simulation, but you don't want to be shooting Eterna for taking photos. And I think, you know, um, my tip for everyone is that if you do a lot more videos, um, you should turn on the movie silent controls to give you those independent settings. Um, what Fuji has now done on the X-T XT30 is that you can set up one of the function buttons to turn that on and off. So... If you wanted to quickly go back to the dials uh, to control your video settings, you can set one of the function buttons available, push that, and it then turns off the movie silent control. So I think that's really a great feature now. And I think uh, for anyone who's doing hybrid shooting of both photos and of videos to uh, look into the movie, movie silent control and, and enabling that. Uh, and secondly, uh, as mentioned, as my personal tip, don't use the touch screen to change the settings. Use that AF joystick. That's going to make it a lot easier for you quickly to move and, and, and go up and down the movie silent control menus to adjust you know, the various functionalities, whether it be shutter speeds, aperture, uh, ISO, um, even film simulations, even white balance on the fly. We also had uh, multiple times the question why the X-T3 doesn't have a selfie screen like the X-T100. Now, the listener who sent that in understands that Fuji doesn't do that maybe for uh, aesthetical reasons, and it's not very practical for normal photography. But do you think the camera lines like X-T3s and, and X-H1 will have some fully articulated screen in the future in order to be able to shoot yourself? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as, you know, someone who uses Fujifilm cameras on an everyday basis and... You know, of course, you know, we do the Fuji Guys channel. Yeah, absolutely. We love to have the flip out screen as well. Um, you know, I and I think that would be our dream. And, and you know, sometimes I personally wish that the X-T30 did have, you know, a front flip out screen. Um, but, you know, in terms of designs of cameras, there's always sort of a... Um, 
a whole different look on how cameras are being produced, right? I mean, everything it has to do with sort of the design concept being sometimes either compact and portable and or it needs to fit in sort of a price range, right? And so, you know, when we launched the X-T100, which I guess was one of the the earlier mirrorless cameras that we have that can do a, a front flip-out screen, the design is actually quite different. It's actually a wider camera than the X-T20 and 30 because the hinge... Uh, placement needed to be uh, there needed to be room for the hinge and so that design of the camera looked maybe a little bit uh, slightly different away from what the xt20 xt30 has and even the xt2 xt3 have right and i think um, maybe one day uh, you know that would be the case uh, here's me hoping just like everybody else for it but, um, you know, one of the things that's still very nice with Fujifilm cameras is that they do have, you know, HDMI outputs, you know. And so if you do have a monitor or a 4K um, device, you can attach that onto the camera. And, you know, one of the great things is that you could be filming and you can still have confirmation of, you know, things like face and eye detection showing up on the monitor so that uh, you know that it is you know, in focus. And I think, um, you know, right now, um, you know, my dream is to have, you know, front flip out screens, but, uh, you know, who knows where that will go. And uh, it's really based on, you know, design and, and cost uh, overall, because if we look at designs of cameras, I think there's, you know, a design mode that needs to be in place. They're very expensive. Uh, when you mode a body, a camera body, and when you change and have to change a, a camera mode, uh, you know the cost can be very dramatic. That could change the cost of you know what the camera launches at at a certain price point. And there's there's those type of things that we need to to consider when when you know new cameras are being launched. Um, but yeah, I think um, you know. For the X-T30, it would have been nice uh, to have one. Uh, there are workarounds, obviously, as I mentioned, with uh, you know 4K monitors and recorders that you can use uh, to help you uh, see the scene. I think for vlogging, um, I think people, I find with vlogging, you know, a front flip-out screen is not necessarily the end all of, of what makes a good vlogging camera. I think what's more important is having great face and eye detection that, you know, when you hold the camera away from you, that the camera is constantly choosing the right focus and that it's locking on, on for you. And I think, you know, the X-T30 is quite an amazing camera to actually vlog, to be honest with you, because the face and eye detection works quite well. The transitioning of going from dark and bright areas works quite well uh, when you have the ISO set to auto so that it can adjust in a smoother manner. And I think, you know, people that are, you know, looking at vlogging should consider the X-T30. There's things like tally lights uh, on 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 the camera that you can enable so that, you know, the front LED light blinks and it tells you that the camera is still recording. And so, you know, one of the big concerns on vlogging is first, you know, am I in the frame, right? Number one. But getting a wide-angle lens, like a 16mm lens, or even, you know, the kit, you know, 15 to 45 lens that you can buy with a camera, it's going to be perfect that you're not going to be having to worry that, um, you know, you're not going to be in the scene because it's quite wide enough uh, to uh, to do that. 
Uh, number two, you know, the camera, you want to worry that it's still recording. And so having a tally light that's blinking is going to take away your, your, your worries in that sense. And number three, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is the autofocus, right? You want things to be in focus. And I think you can really trust the eye detection now on the X-T30. That, that, that obviously firmware update is going to come to the X-T3 soon. Uh, we're slated for April timeframe for launch. And uh, again, it's a huge improvement, and I think it works quite well. And those three combinations honestly makes you know the XT30 maybe a, a very good you know vlogging camera. Another aspect that people miss is that you know the XT30 and the XT3 actually they use this backside illuminated sensor that has quite a low rolling shutter. And, you know, if you see a lot of poor vlogging cameras, you see when they start walking and moving that, you know, these wobbly things start to happen in the background. And, and you know, that's due to, you know, sensors that don't have fast readouts, right? And I think, you know, when you buy an X-T30 or an X-T3, you are getting the latest sensor technology that, you know, does have things like reduced rolling shutter, which makes it, uh, you know, great for, for vlogging. And I guess just to end that point, Jens, is that, you know, I did actually try out the X-T100 to vlog uh, just, you know, for fun. And one of the things that I, I made a, a common mista mistake of was that I always tend to look at that flip out screen to my right. And, you know, when I go back to the footage, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, oh, my God, why didn't I look at the lens? You know, I kept looking at my LCD because I was thinking that's where the camera was filming, filming me and I was trying to keep my frame, I guess. And so sometimes having that front flip of screen can be distracting uh, in a sense that, uh, um, you know, might take away from, from vlogging. Let's dive into point five, accessories and software. What you brought, Billy? Yeah, I wanted to, to talk about, you know, uh, remote release right releasing your your camera shutter or starting and stopping video uh, using sort of um, you know a remote release and I want to talk about the various options that you have with Fujifilm cameras and potentially which accessories uh, you could look at in purchasing if you wanted uh, you know to do things like that so let's let's take for example the X-T30, right? This is a prime example of Fujifilm's latest technology. And uh, we're going to look at how do we trigger the camera's shutter, right? Okay, number one is that the X-T30 actually has a mechanical thread on the shutter itself. And so you can purchase, you know, a mechanical cable release. I don't know if anyone has one of those. Uh, or you can pick it from, you know, a used bin at a photo store. You know, they screw onto the shutter and um, provide you with the ability to kind of remotely trigger the shutter by pushing this mechanical cable, right? Uh, that's option one on the X-T30. And those are standardized. I mean, whatever cable release you pick up, it will work most likely on your Fuji camera. That's right. So if you have a cable from the 1930s or 1940s, absolutely, it's actually gonna gonna fit the uh, the XT30 shutter release uh, thread on the uh, on the shutter release button. So that's maybe a, a inexpensive way of triggering uh, triggering the uh, the uh, the shutter. Of course, um, 
and this is great, of course, when you're doing things like time-lapse photography or long exposures where you don't want to add additional shake to the camera, right? Um, so that's mechanical cable releases. You also have on the side of the X-T30 a port. It's a 2.5 millimeter port. That port actually is a microphone port and also a cable, uh, uh, electronic cable release uh, port. So what accessories should you buy for sort of a wireless trigger or a wired trigger? If you look at any Canon compatible 2.5 millimeter trigger, um, that will work on the X-T30 and majority of Fujifilm cameras that have the 2.5 millimeter uh, connector, okay? So if you're looking for a radio trigger to start and stop the, uh, the video or to release the trigger, buy one that's compatible with a Canon and it's 2.5 millimeters, okay? That will work uh, great with the Fujifilm cameras. Uh, if you wanted to buy a wired connection, of course, Fuji does offer the RR100 cable release that is a 2.5 millimeter connector. And it's, again, just like a mechanical cable release, but it's connected through the 2.5 millimeter port and it will allow you to start and stop or trigger the, uh, the shutter on the camera. Now, the best option, and it's probably the, 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 a free option, is to download the Fujifilm Remote Camera app. It's available for both iOS and Android. And with this camera being Bluetooth, once you pair the camera to your phone, it has almost this instant connection when you open up the app. And there's a new feature on the app that basically is just a Bluetooth remote. And by using that, you can just simply release the trigger of the camera without even spending a dime. And I think, you know, to me, that's an awesome option. It's an option that we use actually to start and stop videos. You know, when especially when you're filming on your own, you can just use the Bluetooth app there uh, and uh, start and stop the videos and it costs you nothing. And the, the remote app also, or the, the app in general, massively improved. If you ever used it uh, a year ago and you thought it was a bit quirky, a lot has been done in that department. So now this is actually super convenient to, to use on a daily basis for transferring images, controlling your camera, etc., etc. Yes, Jens, and it's going to get better uh, in terms of the the app itself. Uh, there's going to be an improvement that's slated for the similar timing as the launch uh, of the XT30 uh, in March, and uh, you know we're going to see sort of a an updated uh, look to the app and improved connectivity from from what it, it already has uh, in it. So uh, look out for that update uh, coming soon through iOS and Android. Great news. So we're looking forward to that one. That sums up uh, today's show. Uh, again, if you want to participate, if you have any questions to us as Fujilove or to Billy as the Fujifilm specialist, don't hesitate. Drop us an email at jens at fujilove.com. That's J-E-N-S at fujilove.com. So Billy, thank you very much for spending time with us and uh, we'll talk to you next month. Great. Thanks for having me, Jens. And uh, thanks for everyone for listening to this uh, podcast. Thank you, Billy. Bye.